Yes. I don't have to run faster than the bear. It would, it would be like Tim and Sid. Remember that race? <laughs> oh, my that God. Had? That was oh hilarious. That outfit that Sid wore was the best. Three times a week, car cast style. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Canyon AT4X. Merrick Delich and in his car... As he's left the studio, Elliot Friedman, after working a very excruciating uh, uh, evening of hockey on a Tuesday night. Elliot, first of all, before we get into the games, before we get into the news, yeah. what was it like working with Red Wings head coach Derek Lalone? First of all, the guy is really smart. Oh, yeah. Like, I think he was a little bit nervous, and you could tell, but I think as he goes on, he'll get a lot better. The one thing that's very obvious, Jeff, is the base of knowledge. You know, I, I said to him when I was sitting there, because he came in the first night, like the first night, the Edmonton night was a party night. He came in and Berkey came in and we were completely distracted. We did a terrible show and it was all <laughs> Berkey and Lalone's fault. But like the second night yeah. he was in. And the thing is, like, you can you can really see the knowledge. Like I said to him, sometimes you're like, could I ever run a hockey team? And I always say that if you're going to be the chief decision maker of a hockey team, you have to see the game at an elite level. When I watch with guys like Lalonde and Adam Oates is another one. Yeah. I just tell you, like, there's things happening out there. They just see it at a different level than I do. Like him talking about the way the Boston center plays on defense or like him talking about the way Tampa defends on the penalty kill. When he explains it to you, you're like, oh, wow. Like, why didn't I see it so clearly before? Like, sometimes I do, but there's some things he points out, and I'm like, I just discovered cold fusion. Like, how come I didn't <laughs> notice this before? And the thing is, like, I can do it if I spend a lot of time really doing it. People like him and Oates and others like him, they just see it instantaneously. Yeah, the stuff that I really liked was when he was talking about uh, Tampa's defensemen and, and how they gap up so quickly and how he showed all those different examples from the first period. It was incredible. And he's just picking off, picking off, picking off, picking off. It was That, to me, was fantastic to watch. Okay, we're going to get to that game. We're going to get to some of the news. And here's the schedule for the playoffs for this podcast. We will record Sunday for a Monday release. Tuesday for a Wednesday release and Thursday for a Friday release. So three podcasts after the games are all done on the Sunday, the Tuesday and the Thursday, and you'll have them first thing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Does that make sense? Is that clear? That's what we're doing. Makes sense to me. And I've been awake for <laughs> 18 hours. How many coffees tonight? Anything? Or are you clean? I had uh, three coffees and two teas. I was really feeling Ooh. it's bad. It's night two of the playoffs, and I had five. That's a really bad omen, I have to tell you. Okay, he's fully caffeinated, so let's get to some of the games. First of all, the yep. one that stunned Toronto. The Maple Leafs boot off the ice after the first, the second, and the third period. 7-3 is the final score. So Kucherov, the man with 50 power play points during the regular season. Adds a late goal, worst-case scenario to start for the Maple Leafs here. A tough 20 minutes. Braden Point with a pair of goals. Kucherov with one plus two. Corey Perry with one plus two. And a hearing for Michael Bunting. There's more, but let's start there. Look, I, I know some Leaf fans, and I know because I, they were all over my DMs. Like, we got screwed by the refereeing. 
And I guess Chris Chelio said on ESPN, yeah, it was some of the worst refereeing he's ever seen. As far as I'm concerned, when you're down three nothing after one and you lose seven to three, and the major reason you get back in the game is because you get two power plays, you can't be complaining about the refereeing. You lost. Now, the biggest thing about this game is the health of Hedman and Cernak. Like, the one thing I always remind people, and this happened last year when Toronto won the first game five to nothing, this isn't a total goal series. Like, whatever happened in this game, you start the next game at zeros. You get a chance to start all over again. We don't get that very often in life, Jeff. Nope. We screw up something, and it stays with us for a long time. You get to start all over again. The thing here is Edmund Chernak. Now, at the end of the game, Edmund Janot, who didn't play, and Isomont, who left the game, were all well in the hallway welcoming the Lightning players back into the room. You couldn't see anything noticeable on any of those guys. And believe me, we basically put the X-ray camera on Hedman. <laughs> we know all about Hedman's innards, hmm. and we didn't see any wraps or anything <laughs> like that. So, you know, Cooper said gotcha. it was a bit of a surprise. We're hopeful game two, but you don't know. You know, Chernak was the one that was the bigger concern because it could be a concussion and there's protocol here. But if Hedman and Chernak can't play, and you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Louis Deming, Rangers-Penguins last year. Like Spicy pork. Like, Sergachev was great. Radish was really good. Cole picked it up. But you can't do it for six more games. And that is the biggest question hanging over the rest of the series more than anything else to me. A couple of other points to this one. Uh, not the finest night for Leah Samsonov. And Joseph Wall came in in the third period. I'll, I'll just lay it out there. Is this the beginning of the Joseph Wall era of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Do you expect Wall in their game too? So Keith was asked that post game and he said too early to say. Like I thought for sure that Samsonov was going to play game two. Yeah. And maybe Keith's playing games with us. Like that happens at this time of year, as you know. Mm -hmm. But I was less sure after hearing that answer. Sheldon, uh, Joseph Wall coming in for the third period. I know it was a big margin in the game, but is, is there any consideration to bringing him in to start game two or too early to know? It's too early to know. Like, you know, it's probably smart for Keith to answer it that way. You can punt it to tomorrow or, or on Thursday, whatever you want to do. You can talk about it with your goalie coach. But the fact that he didn't come right out and say it, one, it makes you wonder how much doubt there really is. And number two, I don't know if I want to say it's a franchise-altering decision. Sometimes I think there's too much hyperbole. But you got to win. That's it. On Thursday night. So you got to decide right now. Like, I'm going with Samsonov because he got me here. You know, he had a bad night. He took it. He ate it. He said he played like bleep. Like this playoff. Uh, you don't feel a nerve a lot. Nerves a lot. But, yeah, I feel like it's hard to see how his fans after the second period left to the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just hard to see. Uh, I will be better. I'm playing like a today. Like, to me, I'm going back with him. But the fact that he didn't commit to it, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. The other thing, too, is, you know, Jeff, like, around him, they had two areas that was were really bad in front of their net. So I don't think Shen's coming out. But I wonder if Lilligren's coming in. Does Lilligren 
get a chance because you do need more puck moving. And the other one, too, is if Bunting gets suspended, and now that he's got a hearing, I suspect he will, is it Matthew Nyes on Thursday night? I think that might be the obvious play, but I think for that top line as well with uh, Matthews and Marner, we saw Kelly Yarncroke there to finish the game after Bunting got punted. Yeah. I would I wouldn't be surprised if that's the new the new first line come Thursday. And then you go Simmons or somebody else down low. I would imagine so. Or do you do Nyes? <sighs> the thing about Nyes too, and I I understand it. I know everyone's all excited. It's a shiny new toy. Yeah, it doesn't have that many NHL games. I do wonder, like, if the Maple Leafs would have won the first game. Then you can say, okay, we'll put in Nyes, but they lost the first game kind of spectacularly. Does that give Sheldon Keefe hesitation to bring in Nyes and maybe rather defer to the veteran? I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the lineup gets discussed the next couple of days. Like, you know, it won't be debated like for more than 10 minutes in Toronto. I think 10 minutes, <laughs> and then everybody will move on. The next couple of days in Toronto, we're going to be crazy. They're going to be bananas. Yeah, it certainly will. I'm sure everyone will bring with themselves a very level-headed approach to all Maple Leafs conversations in Toronto. You know, the other thing, too, I wonder, does you know come in for Tampa? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we could see him. And, you know, Jeff, the other thing also is, like one of the Tampa players told me that they were annoyed about this whole Toronto push them around last Monday. I don't know if disrespect is the right word, but they were like, come on, like we've been doing this for years. For four years, we've been the bullies on the block. For one night, we didn't have a great night. Now all of a sudden, like they're bullying us. Mm-hmm. And Cooper's a guy, he preys on that. He'll be all over the saying, ah, Toronto pushed you around. Everyone thinks the Leafs pushed you around. They were wired, yeah, wired for that game. They were ready to play, and they came out hard. Um, game two should be a fascinating one. Winnipeg and Vegas. Man, there's a whole lot here. So Winnipeg wins this thing 5-1, to one, a pair of goals by Adam Lowry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois finds the back of the net. He was excellent. Kyle Connor kicked off the scoring. Uh, he was excellent as well. Blake Wheeler finds the back of the net. This really was a command performance by not just the forwards, but the blue line and Connor Hellebuck as well. Now, Connor Hellebuck wasn't that busy, and I think that's because everybody around him did their job to make sure shots didn't get on net. Only 17 shots allowed at mm-hmm. all in this game, it was blocking shots. It was suppressing shots. It was not letting Vegas get to the net at all. You heard the fans at T-Mobile Arena, like how frustrated that fan base sound in that rink because Vegas was unable to get anything going and unable to get anything towards the net. We had the Morgan Barron situation uh, with Laurent Bossois' skate getting jammed in his face, which is... Just wow! And it's it's terrifying, and and you just hate it. And Baron got zipped up, and seventy five stitches later, he's on the bench with the bird cage. Winnipeg Jets, and Baron's going to come to the bench here. He got a nasty cut on the face. He might have caught a skate in all that pile, and he is bleeding. The Jets with a couple of really good opportunities, but this last one was a wide open gaping net. 
That was a command performance by the Winnipeg Jets. I really got to hand them. I thought this was going to be Vegas all the way, and Winnipeg went in there, hostile territory, and handed it to the Vegas Golden Knights and Jack Eichel playing in his very first playoff game. I thought I was watching the Rick Bonus era Dallas Stars. Hmm. Like two teams played like that, I thought, tonight. I thought Winnipeg played like that, and it's obvious because that's his blueprint, mm-hmm. and I thought Seattle played like that too. Hmm. Winnipeg, I thought, it was chip it out, you know, create a race, don't do anything stupid, play low risk, low event hockey. Vegas is actually a team that's normally very good at protecting the house. So they got a bit Vegas in this one. They did. If the whole series is going to be like that, which is basically like a a Greco-Roman wrestling match, you're going to need one player to step up and make a difference offensively. And Lowry got two goals at the end, and that was Connor and Dubois, uh, 62 seconds apart early. Boards into the corner, trying to get it out in front, a quick shot, they score! Kyle Connor, a one-timer in the slot off that pass from Dubois, beats Bruce Wall. Off the bench in a line change, picked up again by Dubois, moved right in, shoots, score! Pierre-Luc Dubois beat Lauren Brassois short side. Two quickies for the Jets. Mm-hmm. Like I think in that game, you have a lot of great offensive players. You mentioned Eichel. You know, I saw that Vegas put the Misfits line back together. Yep. Like, that's a game where you've got a lot of players who can score and not a lot of opportunities. So who's going to score? And it was Connor and it was Dubois to open it up, and then Wheeler to put it away. And, you know, Kevin had a hilarious night on the panel. First of all, he said Dubois was taunting Brassois in French. Yep. And then Mark Spector texted Kevin and said, you know, Brassois from Alberta, so he doesn't speak French. And we were all laughing our heads off at that. And then someone sent me a DM about it, too. And secondly, uh, then he was like, there's no way Barron got 75 stitches And he was questioning Reynolds reporting on the air. Like, it was pretty hilarious, actually. (laughs) But, you know, the thing about this series is, no matter how your year goes, you get a chance to rewrite your season here. And the Jets started it. They got what they wanted to do. Now you've got to get greedy. If you're Vegas, you got to find a way to get through those guys. Just like other teams have to find a way to get through you. You, yeah. you have to find a way to get through those guys. You know, one really big bright spot for the Vegas Golden Knights, and we talked about, you know, the sneaky good moves around trade deadline, the payoff at playoffs. That Barbashev set up on the Carlson goal Beautiful. was a thing of beauty, was a, an absolute thing of beauty. That was, we've talked about it before, that was a, a really nice move by by Kelly McCrimmon um, getting Barbashev out of the St. Louis Blues and into a Vegas Golden Knights uniform. The Golden Knights are on the board. William Carlson has the first Vegas playoffs goal of the year. After 14 in the regular season, he has the first in the playoffs for the Knights. And now trail 2-1 to one with 4-11 to go in the second period. The quick strike offense. Carlson set up by Barbashev. He drifted left circle and went long side by the glove of Hellebuck inside the right post. And the Knights are within a goal. There's one more thing I want to mention out of this game. Remember the last time Winnipeg played Vegas Mm -hmm. in the 2018 Western Conference Final, there was the gamesmanship about the 
practice lights being kept off, the arena lights being kept off yep. until the exact moment that the Jets could get on the ice. Like they wanted to go out early and they were told, nope, lights off, and that's not put on. Vegas is the old school team that way. They, they do things like that. That's Harold Ballard era stuff. He would do that with, with the WHA Toronto Toros when they rented the ice. It was like to the second he wouldn't turn the lights on. Well, so the story making the rounds today is that on the exercise bike outside the Jets dressing room, the pedals were missing. <laughs> I have to tell you, there was one GM who hit the roof when he heard that. That is brutal so one general manager called me about that yeah and he's like he called someone else and that someone else said well you know it's it's home ice advantage and he said i got so angry at that guy that i called you because <laughs> he said that's not home ice advantage yeah like you sh we shouldn't be doing that so he was steaming when he heard about that thing with the bikes We'll see if the bikes have pedals for game two. First thing the cameras get to when they get to the rink, the bikes to see if they have not just pedals, but working pedals. Elliot, that's a, that's an important caveat here as well. So one GM said to me, we can't be doing this stuff anymore. Beat your opponent fair and square is what he said. All right. To the shocker of the evening, the defending Stanley cup champion, Colorado avalanche are down one game to nothing at the hands of the Seattle Kraken. And congratulations, uh, Eli Tolvanen, who scores the first postseason goal in Seattle Kraken history. Turning it over in front, Tolvanen point blank, gets his own rebound and scores! Turnover out in front, Eli Tolvanen had the first shot, turned aside, got his own rebound, and whacked it in. The first playoff goal in Kraken history belongs to Eli Tolvanen. 1-0, Alex Venberg with a goal, Morgan Geeky with a goal as well, Miko Ranton in the lone marker for the Avalanche, Philip Grubauer outstanding in this one, stopping 34 of 35 shots. Vince Dunn gets a puck in the face about uh, halfway through the third period. So uh, a tough night, but he's not complaining. His team won. Uh, Eric Johnson, a healthy scratch for the Colorado Avalanche. Your thoughts on Seattle getting home ice advantage away from the Avs? First of all, that game, game three in Seattle is going to be bazonkers. It, oh. Now you know you're coming home with, at the very least, a split. You're going to yeah. have a rabid crowd wired up for that game. Like Winnipeg's going to be the same way. You know, we were talking with Morrissey the other day and, and the feature on him is going to air. And we were sitting in the seats just imagining what it's going to look like for game three. Now, you know, it's going to be even more of a zoo because the worst you're going home is one, one in Seattle. It's the same way. It's your first ever playoff game. You're facing the defending Stanley cup champions and you steal game one on the road. And I want to credit our advanced scout on this series, as you know, we're, we're primarily paying attention to Toronto and Winnipeg on this night. But our advanced scout, Cole Bieksa, who was telling us what Seattle was doing uh, so well, he said they did a really great job of not letting uh, McKinnon explode against them too much. And like I said, every time I looked up, Seattle was creating chips out, foot races, just don't put the puck in dangerous places. 
They play it perfectly. The road teams did really well in game one. I would just say, I think to a lot of people, that's the most surprising result. But that was a hugely impressive victory for the Kraken. Uh, speaking of road teams winning, uh, the Rangers, and quite handily as well. 5-1 to one is the final score. A pair of power play goals by Chris Kreider in this one. Vlad Tarasenko kicked off the scoring. A gorgeous goal by Ryan Lindgren. Uh, that was a 3 nothing goal. That was a, a thing of beauty. Back out to Lindgren. Lindgren far boards back to Fox. Creeps up between the circles. Fox still with it. A pinching Lindgren sharp angle. Stop, and he scores! Ryan Lindgren sharp angle, and the just take the three nothing lead. Jack Hughes, the lone goal scorer for the New Jersey Devils. Adam Fox, outstanding, four assists. Uh, Shostakin with twenty seven saves. Vitek Vanacek, eh, not his finest night. Yeah, I guess both ex Washington Capitals netminders on this night. The one in Toronto and the one in New Jersey both had a tough time. What a great statement for the Rangers! They lost the season series to the New Jersey Devils, not winning one game in regulation, but it didn't matter here for game one. Well, you probably watched this one closer than I did, so what did you think? I thought the Rangers were all over them. I really did. I was impressed right from the get-go. I never want to disqualify power play goals. I know a lot of people say, like, yeah, he scored 40 goals, but 25 of them were on the power play. Those still count. Yeah. I just think that Kreider in front of the net on the power play, again, is going to be a lot of trouble for the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. Because he is against every other team. And listen, the Devils didn't have an answer for it. A few teams have an answer for Chris Kreider in front of the net. I did think that Adam Fox was the best player on the ice. And, you know, no surprise that he's going to get plenty of Norris love. But it's been a long time since we've seen the Rangers and the Devils. So I wanted to make sure that I parked a lot of time yep. with this one. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. And I, I'm really interested about in the in the the veteran New York Rangers squad against this young, brash team that's finally broken through. And we expect to see the Devils consistently in the playoffs now. And I wanted to see how the Devils did in their in their first go around here. But this was one where the Rangers said, you know what? You may have been higher than us in the standings, but we're still the big dog in the Battle of the Hudson. That's how it looked to me. Fox towards the net. Score! Chris Kreider on the redirect. It is 2-0 Rangers. There's the puck from the power play goal as Chris Kreider is now the all-time leading playoff goal scorer in franchise history. What a stat. Like, Chris Kreider, most Rangers playoff goals. Like, I never would have guessed that one. 35. First of all, good for him. Like, congratulations. That's a hell of a record. You think about, and I realize we play a lot more games now, but, you know, the Rangers went through a few years where they didn't play much, and you think of all the great players they had in their history, like, you you never would have imagined that, that he would be number one with 35. I said this about Keefe in the Toronto game. I thought it was really good that Keefe didn't panic. He's a guy who can really blow his top. He can be very emotional. But I thought he was really calm because I think the team takes on the persona of the coach. And if you lose your cool, the team will, will lose the cool. Every time I saw Gallant this game, he was intense. Like Gallant looked like he was about to throw on the shoulder pads and go out there. And I think that the Rangers fed off that. Like everyone's been talking about devil speed, devil speed, devil speed. That's legit. But... Gallant, I have no doubt in my mind that he thinks he can bully them. Yep. Even with, you know, Hamilton, who's a big guy, and Meyer, who's been added to it, and Severson, 
who's a really good player and a big guy. I really believe that Gallant thinks that the Rangers can push the Devils around. And every time I saw Gallant on the bench, I saw a guy who was driving his team to take control of that game physically. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. And Elliot, we focused a lot on the action from Tuesday night, but let's rewind to Monday as well. Los Angeles and Edmonton. It took overtime. It was the LA Kings. Kopitar had a great game. One goal, three assists, four points. Corpusalo, 37 saves. Uh, Adrian Kempe, wonderful. Alex Ayafalo uh, scores in overtime, 9-19. To Doughty in the middle. To Kopitar, left circle to the goal line. Arvidsson centers. Score! Alex Ayafalo wins it in overtime. It's a power play goal. Great, quick puck movement by the Kings. They worked it down low. A touch pass by Arvidsson to Ayafalo in front, who buries it. The Kings take game one here in Edmonton. And I loved his quote, Shades of Brett Hall. I was just trying to get lost. Sometimes the best way of being in the play, Elliot, is being out of the play. Connor Bedard, by the way, as someone reminded me, heard us talking about that on the radio show today, said that is exactly what Connor Bedard does. Wait till he gets to the NHL. Mm. He will get lost on the ice and then suddenly appear in the perfect spot. Anyhow, LA beats Edmonton. They draw first blood, 4-3 is the final. Well, Jeff tells me to get lost all the time, so I, I know that <laughs> feeling. You know, like like I know some Oilers fans were pretty upset, and you know, like the one thing I'd like to say, I don't think that game was a disaster. I can't tell you how many people, you know, woke up and said to me, I think I got about five or six tests. I, I went to bed and Edmonton was in control, and they're like, "What the hell happened? Like, how did they lose the game? They they didn't understand what happened." You know that that was a big steal for L.A. considering. The situation, Edmonton was in control. You know, they don't have Velarde. They don't have Fiala. Although I have a feeling both of those guys are getting close. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if they'll be ready for game two, but I think they're getting close. I just don't panic too much after a game like that. You know, the one thing is, number one, McDavid didn't get a point, so you know he's going to be riled up. But number two, there is something about the Kings. Like, like, I think the Kings have great structure. Like, nobody can compete with, you know, McDavid, Dreisaitl, 1-2. But Kopitar, know. like, if I have a choice and I can pick some people who, if I have to go to battle against these guys, I'll take two guys. Yeah. Like, Kopitar, know is a pretty good pick. Yep. You're not too upset to have those two guys. I think Gavrikov, it's going to be really interesting. Like, I've heard the Kings have tried to sign him in around the – five million dollar range like if he has another night like he had two nights ago there's no chance that's getting done like the kings know how to play right they're a really high iq team but good coach i can't panic i just think you think if you're going to be in that kind of position a lot in this series you're going to shut the door here's the thing you have someone who, to your point, has Kopitar and Deneau in the lineup. And if you're looking at trying to shut down, you know, the biggest nuclear missile in the NHL, Connor McDavid, maybe who better than someone who used to coach him? Things kind of do line up nicely here for the Los Angeles Kings. 
I don't care if anyone used to coach them. You're not <laughs> slowing them down. Maybe just for the one game. We'll see about game two. I, I like the way you think, though. By Harley, who couldn't get it out. Here's a turnover open in front. They score! They score! Ryan Hartman helps the Wild steal game one off a bouncing puck in front, and he wins his double overtime marathon in Dallas as the Wild prevail. The headline was the Matt Dumba hit on Joe Pavelski. And as you and I discussed on the radio show, I really think that Joe Pavelski was surprised to get hit in that spot. Forwards don't get hit when they're below the red line like that, the way that Dumba hit Pavelski. I don't think the hit was dirty. I just don't think Pavelski was expecting to get hit there. I agree with you. I, I don't think it was a dirty hit. I don't think it was worth a suspension. I just think that as a society, we don't like to see that stuff anymore. We've got less of an interest in seeing that kind of injury, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever we see something like that, we react very emotionally to it because nobody wants to see a player leave the ice like that. Like, I don't know what the situation is going to be here with Pavelski at this time of year. DeBoer said, Joe's okay. You know, obviously, uh, he's banged up, uh, hit his head on the ice when he fell. Um, Probably not for game two. Like, I've got to think he's in the protocol, right? I'm with you, Jeff. I don't think it was a suspension-worthy hit or anything like that. And I thought the officials handled it right in the moment. What really stood out to me was Peter DeBoer. In the post game. DeBoer, he was calm. He was measured. He didn't say anything about it. And it was the way he said it was like, okay, you know, I'm not complaining here. I just lost a very important player. Yeah. You guys kind of owe me one. You know, we, we have the best officials in the world. And, um, you know, they they called a five. They reviewed it, which is the right thing to do. And, you know, if they reviewed it and decide it wasn't a bad hit, then, you know, uh, I guess – it's not for me to argue with that. I mean, they, they got to look at it at a multiple different angles, and that was the decision they made. So, you know, we've got we've got to live with that. Like, I thought of all the games, and the hockey was phenomenal the first two nights of the playoffs. That's the one that they lost control of. And, like, there was a play where Hintz was tripped on a face-off, like, right at the end of a period. you got to make that call. And I did think that was the one game that, got out of control you know there were a lot of exceptional things that happened in that game uh philip gustafson no nerves at all 51 saves first playoff game jake ottinger was really good 45 saves uh matt dumba sets a minnesota wild record 38 minutes and 31 seconds of ice time yeah uh miro haskinen (laughs) miro haskinen says oh yeah how about this 41 42 for the dallas defenseman but as as much as we say that you know ryan hartman was was the hero in the double ot was there a bigger hero than brock faber stopping mason marchman that diving stick save to keep the minnesota wild like because that game's over like, I'm sure that Marchman has that puck, and this thing is over, and Brock Faber, you know, out of nowhere, dives at him with the stick to keep the puck out, completely saved the game for the Minnesota Wilds. So Ryan Hartman shows up as the, the game winner, but maybe if there's a stat game saver, that thing has to go to Brock Faber, Elliot. I'm so impressed by that guy. Oh, how, yeah. how can you How can you not be? Yeah, he's... Like, how can you not be impressed by 
by that guy and how good he is. Like that kid's a find. Sure is. And look, one game basically made his NHL debut the week before. <laughs> like there's a lot of runway here, and that's a big boy series. Yeah. But that guy does not look out of place. And Gustafson, I mean, he's been excellent. Yeah. Just excellent. Like, you know, Minnesota, you know how they're gonna play. And I think the thing for Dallas is now. You know, Dallas looked disjointed. Like, they still should have won the game, I thought. You know, they had unbelievable chances, and Gustafson and Faber were great. But I still think they looked a little bit disjointed without Pavelski. And now, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to make up for that? Like, he's so much the linchpin of a lot of things they do. The other thing about that game is, like, that was frontier justice. Ryan Suter... Like, he might have cross-checked Kaprizov all those times anyway. Yeah. But now, because Pavelski was out of the game, he was taking his pound of flesh. Like, I think that's the other one I'm curious about going into game two is, you know Minnesota's going to go to the series supervisor on that one. And is it going to be different? Like, when Minnesota plays, it's built into their DNA. Their games are rough. So, I think the other team is sitting there and saying, we have to be given the same leeway. Boston and Florida. Uh, Boston wins this one by a final score of three to one. David Pasternak finds the back of the net. We'll get to the Brad Marsh angle in a second. Matthew Kachuk finds the back of the net. Jake DeBrusque makes it three to one. Uh, looked like he pushed in the pad, but no, the puck is lying there, knocks it off. The whole thing goes in and it's and it's fine. The Brad Marsh angle, you know, I was mentioning the um, uh, the Brad Marchand goal, the one that just sort of goes under the glove or beside yep. Alex Lyon. Uh, and, you know, that's a pr- proverbial one where, you know, John Garrett was laughing about like, oh, even I think his exact words were something along the lines of even Kelly Rudy would agree with me that that's a bad goal. And Kevin Woodley, our buddy from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com says, you know, that's a moment where, you know, the the glove failed him. That at the at, at the edge of the glove, instead of, I guess it wasn't strong enough or something. I don't know. Instead of pushing back on the puck, it folded over and it went in because of, I don't know, because of wear and tear or the manufacturer. I don't know. But that's the one that you look at and you say, that's the one that in some ways really broke Florida's back. The Pasternak goal is a gorgeous pass by Tyler Bertuzzi. More on him in a sec. The Marchand goal is the one where, and I know Matthew Kachuk came back to to cut the lead to one, but that's the goal you look at and go, ugh, that's the killer for the Florida Panthers. First of all, I felt terrible for Lyon, who's the reason they got into the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like he, you know, he has an incredible run, and, and that one happens. You know what it reminded me of? Like, he used to play road hockey as kids, and he used to use an old baseball mitt as your glove hand. Yeah. And the webbing would, like, tear off, and the and the, and the and that <laughs> orange rubber ball that always stung you would go right through. It's great, yeah. Uh, that's what that reminded me of. No Bergeron, and... Like I don't like to say they didn't miss a beat because if you miss Bergeron, you're you're missing a beat. But they're so well constructed, they can handle it. Like Zaka played really well. Everybody there knows what to do. Like I just think their room is so good and their leadership is so good and their ideas of how to play are so good that like okay, Zaka Pavel, you're in for Bergeron. Okay, this is how it's gonna go. He doesn't try to be Bergeron. He just knows what his responsibilities are. And he says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to handle that. Just do what you do. Like, like even though Bergeron wasn't playing, I never felt Boston was overly threatened in that game. And 
You know, someone said to me that Allmark was was really sick. I don't know if he was sick that still that day of the game because, you know, Swayman was hurt and, you know, he, he dressed, obviously. But someone suggested to me that if Swayman hadn't been injured recently, that Allmark might not have played because he was feeling terrible. But Swayman may not have been 100%, so Allmark went. And someone just said to me, Allmark gave them like a real performance under less than ideal situations. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. I think a lot of people wanted to see Florida give Boston a series, but that was the game that Florida got the Bruins under less than ideal circumstances, and I just thought the Bruins looked so smooth. Mention that Tyler Bertuzzi pass to David Pasternak. That was a thing of beauty. That's an elite-level, high-skill pass right there, and because it's Tyler Bertuzzi, and does he not look perfect? Apologies to Detroit Red Wings fans. Does he not look perfect in a Boston Bruins uniform, grabbing Nick Cousins' stick, taking it to the bench? Oh my God, smash- I couldn't stop laughing. And smashing the blade. <laughs> oh man. Like there are, th- there are things you see in these games and you're like, did I just see that? Like what just happened there? That was a big one. And I, and I, and I rewound it and I looked at it. I just couldn't stop laughing at how funny it was. <laughs> Okay, one more series for comment here. Uh, Sorokin versus Ranta, the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. We expected this one to be low scoring, and Elliot, mm-hmm. it was. To the corner. Eight seconds left. Carolina. Pesci takes a hard hit. Puck behind the net. Kane's trying to clear. Slaving along the boards. One second. A sharp angle shot. Ranta with the save, and the Canes take game number one. You know, there's one player every year where I look at my ballot and I'm like the playoffs start and I realize I really disrespected this player and you know who it is this year Ilya Sorokin Brent Burns oh for the Norris that was one of the guys that I wrestled with he had a great season there were a lot of great contenders for the Norris like the person who who really pushed me to vote for Burns like I talked about it with Brendan Moore when we when we met and for that interview but the person who really pushed me to burn said, like, when, when those two guys went down, Pacioretty and Shvechnikov, like, he basically took over the Carolina offense. Hmm. There were so many good people to vote for. Like, every year, you know, when the when the ballots become public, it's basically your house is about to get burned down. Like, oh, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I felt really bad. There's a guy in the NBA, the rookie of the year, it looks like it's going to be a player named Paulo Bonchero. And he was going to be unanimous. And then there's, I guess there's one voter in Utah who voted for Walker Kessler and it went public and people were just destroying that guy all over the internet. And I think, I think that's such a joke. Like I really do. Like people are allowed to disagree. Anyway, I'm looking at Burns now and I'm like, uh, I know it's one game, but I might've really blown that one. Like I, (laughs) I was watching him that game as much as I could. And, like, every time he's out there, he just controls the game. He's a former Norris Trophy winner already and probably deserved, and I'm guilty of it as well, more love than he's probably going to get in the balloting. By the way, you know what's going to happen when he hears this, Jeff? What's that? You and I are going to be the game on his ranch. (laughs) We're going to be the ones running for our lives? I think it's actually called The Game, but I remember it as one of the great short stories of the youth about the man who's on the island and you have to uh, hide for like 24 hours. Oh, wow. Like the person who inhabits the island. Do you remember this story? I don't. I don't. I think it's called The Game. So like, there's a shipwreck and people end up on this island. And it turns out the guy on the island 
he takes anybody who ends up there and he makes them. And I apologize if I'm butchering the story. If you run into the forest and can hide from me for 24 hours, you get to live. And if not, <laughs> you're done. And basically what happens is like a lot of people run straight. And so they, they get killed. But this one guy is more experienced and he runs around in circles. And I don't want to ruin it for everybody, but that's going to be you and I at mm. the Burns Ranch. We're going to be the game. And he's going to say you have 24 hours or else because you didn't vote for me for the Norris Trophy, you know the price if you don't make it. You know, there's an old saying, Elliot. I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to yeah. run faster than you. That's right. That's my strategy. Just be faster than you. <laughs> I will concede, Jeff, that if we were to have a race, I would think you would win. Spare me, Brett Burns. Spare me. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. We'll finish off this podcast with some news yeah. um, and something you and I talked about this afternoon. It looks like, and this is great news uh, for the person because it means that his health uh, is much improved. Looks like Doug Wilson is um, looking to re-enter the NHL in some capacity. What do you hear? What do you know? He stepped down last year as general manager and president of the Sharks. He was honored earlier this year and it was all very mysterious. And I think I have a better handle on what it was, but Wilson hasn't talked about it. So I don't feel comfortable going there. Okay. I, I've just heard he feels a lot better. Like, I don't know if he's ready to go right back into the trenches and be a full-time general manager, but you know, we know some of these teams are looking for some senior executives or consultants. I've heard he's interested. I heard he's able to do it. Like after I mentioned it, on uh, your uh, show today, a couple of reporters from the Bay Area, Curtis Pashelka, Sheng Peng, and I, I don't want to leave out Corey Massasak. I don't know if he reported or not, but they picked it up and it kind of started going somewhere. And people told me that some teams knew, like he was on their radar. First of all, I think it's a great thing that he's healthy enough to feel that this is possible. That's the most important thing. And now we'll see where all of this goes. So that is really good news that uh, the Doug Wilson is uh, is healthy enough to get back uh, into the NHL. Fantastic news there. Now, the Calgary situation. So Brad Treliving and the Calgary Flames have what uh, I'm really enjoying referring to as a conscious uncoupling. Don Maloney takes over hockey operations and interim general manager. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think the latest is right now and is the, the next step at least an interview, if not the official hiring of Craig Conroy as the general manager of the Calgary Flames. 
Well, first of all, I have a new nickname for you, and it's Gwyneth. <laughs> That's exactly where that came from. <laughs> if you keep using the phrase conscious uncoupling. So, so Gwyneth, here's what I can tell you. I actually think the first thing uh, here is that I believe that Don Maloney and Daryl Sutter are going to meet. Like, we've talked about how these were really long exit meetings in, in Calgary, and I think there's going to be a conversation between the two of them about, you know, what kind of information was collected and where we go from here. And I don't want to speculate on what that's going to be, Jeff, because I just don't know. But I do think there's going to be a conversation about what the players said. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I, I don't want to guess on what that all means, because I, honestly, I don't know. I'll say this, like, you know, Don Maloney has extension, as, as you and I had talked about. I think there is an extension for Craig Conroy on the table, but I think Craig Conroy wants to know what his role is going to be uh, before he commits to anything. You know, one of the things I really think about that organization, and I had a couple people reach out to me, is, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't see a lot of these tweets, but I saw, uh, but someone sent me a bunch of them later. Like a number of the reporters tweeted out, like, just about messages they got from tree living when, you know, times were tough or they had really difficult things in their personal life. And you've seen how the flames of an, as an organization have rallied around Chris snow, Yes, you know, tree living was, you know, he treated people very well. And, you know, sometimes we forget that because all we care about is wins and losses. You could be the greatest human being alive. And if you go, Oh, and 20 people don't care. They just want you out of town. Right. So, mm-hmm. What a couple of people from that organization have told me is that they just felt that Tree Living treated them really respectfully. And Conroy has that reputation, too. And I think there are people in that organization really rooting that Conroy gets the job. But I don't think it's a slam dunk. I do think they're going to interview externally. I think Conroy could get the job. And like I said, there's a lot of people there I think want him to get the job. But I think they really feel it's important to go through a process. Mm-hmm. Like Eric Francis uh, had an article today about some contenders who we put in there. Like, I think some of them are really obvious. Like, you know, one of our coworkers, Michael Fuda, he's worked with Sutter before. Yep. You know, Shane Doan is a guy that Don Maloney knows. I, I'm not sure if he'd want to be a GM outside of Arizona, um, but he's got a Calgary background. And let me apologize in advance for making people read Eric's articles. (laughs) Eric's excellent. Come on. Of course. Okay. Let's finish up with the Philadelphia Flyers. And what do you hear about Emily Castonguay and the president position? Emily Castonguay is currently the assistant general manager with the Vancouver Canucks. So Irv Gaffar, a friend of ours, uh, reported today, he was the first one, I believe, to get it on air about Philadelphia. I, I actually, to be honest, I didn't hear it but someone sent me a note about it. I don't know if Emily Castlegate is interviewed yet, but I believe she's on their radar. I do. I believe it's someone that they wanted to talk to. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Cami Granado was on their radar too. I don't know that for sure, mm-hmm. but it just, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, we've talked about how, you know, we've heard Ray Shiro's name and I think there's other names but I do believe the cast on gay thing is true. I just can't pinpoint if they did the interview already or they want to talk to her. But I, I don't think Earth is wrong on this one. I, the thing that's really interesting about this is they have two different search firms doing this. They have 
the hockey search firm. Hmm. That's uh, Neil Glassberg. And they have the non-hockey search firm, who's Billy King. And uh, I used to love Billy King when he played basketball at Duke. He was all defense, man. He could shut people down. I loved watching Billy King play. But he's one of the recruiters now here for the Flyers. Okay, so that's one of the uh, other stories we're uh, we're paying attention to. And that's your podcast. These will be quickies. These will be car casts. Your next one coming Friday morning. Uh, the schedule is going to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You receive pods from us. Uh, taking us out today, a Nashville-based Birmingham-born quintet that made their way onto the scene in 2015. Banditos have a very recognizable sound that's hard to ignore, especially if you're walking down Broadway. Shout out to Tim for the artist's submission to our inbox. Thank you, Tim. From their Right On record, here's Banditos with On My Way on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Hope you're enjoying the playoffs.